Temple Talks Malta. Episode 29, Temple Talks to Mark Warner, Marketing Manager of Indina Glass. This podcast is produced and hosted by the Temple Magazine team. I'm Mark Mason. And I'm Susanna Hornby. Welcome back to another Temple Talks Malta episode. This is episode 29. And today we are really pleased to be able to welcome Mark Warner from Mdina Glass. Hello, Mark. How are you? Uh, hi, I'm fine. Thank you. Good to be speaking to you. We've been talking to you for quite a bit, talking about... Yeah, we have. Yeah, <laughs> we really have. And uh, we, you've been through quite a time there at Mdina Glass with uh, the situation at the moment. What I wanted to do was talk to you about really the history of Mdina Glass and it's so well known worldwide I've always been a massive fan of the glass myself and so is Mark in fact all of my family buy it on a constant basis not saying we're your best customers but we must be up there somewhere but Mark (laughs) (laughs) you've been living in Malta for a while and been working with Mdina Glass indeed for for quite some time how did you first come to Malta? Well I was um, working in London Mm -hmm. Um, my background is in uh, writing and directing for film and TV and stuff so at the time, it was in 1995, I was working on a couple of projects and I wanted to get away from the rat race in London and go somewhere quieter to, to get some writing done and develop some projects. Mm. And uh, Malta was somewhere I was familiar with because I, I grew up in the, the UK, but I was actually born over here. So it was a, a familiarity mm. and, uh, and, and yeah, somewhere I could retreat to and, and get on with things. All those years later, here I am. Yeah. And you started writing. I was already in the writing and directing game. Mm. I came over here to basically focus on a couple of things that I was working on at the time. Yeah. And so how did you eventually be, become connected with Mdina Glass? I moved into, in 2005, I moved into um, advertising, uh, working with an agency. I was head of creative and audiovisual production and Mdina Glass were one of the clients at the time. Oh, I so see. I started working with for Mdina Glass or working with Mdina Glass in that capacity. Mm-hmm. And then eventually what, they just took you away from the agency because you were too good? <laughs> Uh, yes, exactly. That's uh, that, exactly what happened. And I gave in after much um, begging and no, um, they, uh, I was going to move away back into freelance work. I was doing, uh, you know, my, my background is also, it's kind of a mixed background because I was, I'm also um, a photographer. So I was going to go into freelance work on um, advertising and photography, mm-hmm. etc. maybe uh, producing commercials again. And um, I, let Imdina Glass know that this was going to be happening. This was on the cards because mm-hmm. they were a, a client I had worked very closely with over the spell of uh, what seven years. And then they they just they said, well, you know, what about um, being our marketing manager? They hadn't had a dedicated marketing manager before. You know, I like the product. I I, I like the people here, and um, I mm. thought it was a good idea. Yeah, I mean, the product, as we call it, the glass is absolutely stunning. It's internationally renowned as well. You know, even in the UK, pieces of Imdina glass are, are well cherished mm-hmm. and revered almost and indeed older pieces are fetching quite high prices because they're highly collected how did mm-hmm. that Mdina glass begin its life it started with um two brits they wanted to start a glass making company and they were looking at possible places to open up their um their base mm. and they were considering the possibility of somewhere in the uk but they were also interested in finding a a location abroad where the standard of life 
would be different where the climate was better. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had a couple of places on the shortlist. Uh, Malta wasn't actually one of them. Uh. And then one of them uh, <laughs> saw an advert in a newspaper. I mm-hmm. think it was in the Telegraph, uh, placed in the newspaper by the um, Maltese government at the time, mm-hmm. um, encouraging entrepreneurs to open up businesses in Malta because Malta had only recently become an independent uh, nation. Of course. So they wanted to, you know, for the for the growth of the economy, they wanted to uh, entice business people over with uh, promises of uh, tax holidays, etc. Mm-hmm. But they came over to Malta. Uh, it was the first time they had been, and um, they quickly decided that it would be an ideal place to open a business because of the connections with the UK, the, the language. They had children, so the schools there were English language schools. Mm-hmm. Um, there were good ports for bringing in materials and equipment and exporting, eventually exporting products overseas. Right, okay. And and we're talking, what, 1968? 1968 is when the company finally opened. I think mm. they started coming over in six, late 66, early 67, looking at um, possible locations. Mm. And have you always been into Ali? They were actually offered somewhere completely different. I don't want to give too many too much information away because no. there's a book. <laughs> of course. Well, should we leave it there then? The book is called... Right, which I, which I wrote, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which you did write. And the book is called The Legacy. It's called Legacy, 50 Years of Indina Glass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was like around three years of research and interviews and finding old materials, photo shoots of old mm. products. It's a beautiful book. Mark and I have seen it. It is definitely worth having. It really is beautifully written and the photographs are incredible. It must have... You must have put many painstaking months or even years into creating it. Yeah, it's quite uh, it's quite hard work. You know, I, I interviewed a lot of uh, a lot of people who have been here over the years. Mm. Um, luckily, you know, a lot of people that, that I had access to were here from the very beginning, including the managing director here, who started as a trainee. So, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask, what happened to the two gentlemen that started the company? Are they still around? Well, one of them left um, after just over two years um, at the company, and. And um, the other guy that uh, stayed, he stayed into the early 80s. And it's then um, Joseph Side, who now owns a company, acquired it off of him. We always think that Mdina Glass is a family-run company. Is, is that right? Yes, it is. It mm. is now, yes. Mm. Ever, since, ever since that changeover. Mm. Yeah, and I think um, you can see the passion in all the products mm. that you develop and obviously work very closely together. This year has been an extraordinary year, and I suspect within the 50 years of Mdina Glass, you've never had one quite like it so far. What's been the impact for you over there? Um, yeah, it has been a bit of a unique year. If I look at the positives, it would make a great new entry into a new version of the book. <laughs> but um, glass making, like any other handmade craft, the traditional craft, has been suffering over the years anyway. It's been you know, it's difficult to find the uh, the people that want to come in and learn the learn the craft. Mm-hmm. Uh, materials have become more and more expensive. Fuel has become more and more expensive. So it's difficult in that uh, in that respect. And there are cheaper imitations that come in from abroad that pass themselves off as things like uh, Murano, etc. So mm. it's been difficult on an international scale. And it's also been difficult uh, because of many of those reasons locally as well. But this year has been probably one of the most uh, challenging years 
locally you know for us and for the international glass making scene mm. um you know anyone can probably remember apart from maybe the war years or something mm. no i've heard loads of people say that um that there's been it's been exceptional i mean my my father is 85 and remembers the second world war and he said i don't think it was even this bad then in respect to lockdown and all the rest of it but I think what strikes me as must have been a problem for you, because you had to stop production, it meant that your stock levels have reduced, and therefore, mm-hmm. when the demand returns, you're going to be on catch-up? Yeah, we had to stop production in March, mm. um, so it's been a long layoff, and uh, we're still not in production at the time of recording this, mm-hmm. which is the uh, beginning of August, eh? Yeah. Uh, just, <laughs> just in case anybody's got this later on down the road. <laughs> um, and uh, we don't know exactly when we're going to be starting production again, I imagine we're going to have to look at um, being back in production sometime before Christmas. Mm. And yes, there's going to be a, a fair amount of catch-up to mm. be done. Uh, we've been Luckily, because the writing was kind of on the wall earlier, uh, we made sure that we produced a lot of our popular items Mm -hmm. across the board. Mm. And we've been lucky enough to have had stock to fall back on. But, uh, you know, that's coming depleted. Business has not exactly been thriving. So we've been able to live off that stock for these months. Yeah, thank goodness for that. And is is the store open? Yeah, we we obviously closed when um, all non-essential outlets had to close and then we started opening our shops again once mm. we were permitted to but some shops didn't open some shops haven't opened still and the shops that are opening are not opening with the kind of hours that we would normally have them open for at this time of year because we would extend our opening hours to cater for the uh, thriving tourism industry mm. which isn't exactly thriving at the moment no so, i mean demand is you know, down have of to course do it cautiously yeah no yeah, yeah. It's a balancing act, isn't it, against price and cost is, of running the business against, you know, potential income. What? Um, yeah, let, yeah. Can we just talk about the glass itself? Because everybody who's listening, they will be in Malta, but of course they'll be across the world too. What is so special about Mdina Glass? What does it mean to own a piece? Um, well, I think number one is um, Mdina Glass as a, as a name is synonymous with Maltese glassmaking. Before Indina Glass opened, there was no activity in glassmaking on the island. Um, so that's one thing, you know, glassmaking in Malta and Indina Glass go hand in hand now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically the style and design that people really mm. go for, that uh, our buyers go for. Yeah. We have very distinctive shapes in our design. And then with the, with the more um, contemporary pieces, we're very well known for the mix, the blends of colours that mm. we employ the glassware. Yeah. What's really helped us adapt over time and move with the times is we haven't stayed rooted in the same kind of products that uh, we were offering uh, over the different decades. Mm. We've moved on and we're offering a lot of items now which can be integrated into your everyday living rather than purely decorative mm. items, you know, mm-hmm. functional lighting and um, land yeah, those are lifestyle products, basically. So, I mean, you know, you've got bowls and glasses and jugs and beautiful, beautiful stuff and the swirl of those colours. And you do mm-hmm. blend the colours so beautifully. And you can just tell a piece of emptying in a glass. Exactly. If you walk into someone's yeah. house, you just know it is that. The brand, the product yeah. is so strong. It really, they really yeah. it is beautiful. Um, and talking of that, moving away from the smaller pieces and the, uh, the functional decorative pieces, 
you have also been commissioned to do the large Christmas tree that sits right in the middle of Valletta. Mm-hmm. That was started in 2011. Right, it's been for a while then. We've, we've, we've been noticing it every year since we've been going, but it is absolutely stunning. Thank you. Yeah, it's quite a piece, a lot of work to, to create and um, involves a lot of work to put up as well. I can imagine. I mean, it's how high is it? About three yeah. metres high? Maybe more? Uh, no, no, no. The, the, the main one is uh, eight metres high. Oh. Um, yeah. We have a smaller one, which is about three metres high, but we're, the, the large one is about eight metres high. Mm. And... Uh, it has around uh, 2,000 glass baubles in total. <laughs> I mean, it is beautiful. But more recently, we've been talking about this too, and I think it's been, it's really put some life into beautiful Valletta, is your installation in Straight Street. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yeah. that? Yeah, that's been very popular, actually. We're really happy with the feedback and the number of people taking photos and mm. videos of the place. Mm. And uh, that's uh, kind about through um, the Valletta Cultural Agency who approached us about putting the installation up because uh, we had done a similar thing about five years ago for the one night event uh, Nota Bianca mm-hmm. and um, they wanted to, Valletta Cultural Agency have got a, a summer program trying to invigorate some uh, some life into the area mm-hmm. after what's happened this year mm-hmm. um, and one thing they wanted to do was have this installation up to bring a lot of colour and, and mm-hmm. light to the locality in straight street for uh, for the next couple of months yeah so yeah that's that's been up since uh, early july and um it's due to be there until middle of october yeah i'm just trying to um, explain it straight street is a small cobbled old street in valletta it's quite narrow and you can walk for several blocks underneath these suspended lanterns all lit and all different colors and it is it's just a beautiful experience day or night because in the daytime the sun shines through and makes it gives mm. it a completely different feeling and in the evening it's so pretty beautiful yeah it, i mean it looks it looks very nice in the in the daylight as you said but uh, it really comes to life at mm. night like the street does itself because um during the day the street is not as thriving or mm. not as busy it's um it's a it's a bit of a, a sort of a, a nightlife venue now with mm-hmm. um bars and restaurants which which is what it was historically as well when the, it was a, a place where uh, there were a lot of bars and the um the navy uh, the british navy used to frequent <laughs> yeah they did for other reasons too i believe perhaps ladies of the night yeah. wasn't it well known as the red light district of valletta in the old days um i don't know maybe, maybe you can elucidate <laughs> no idea i wasn't around then mark thank you very much <laughs> <laughs> no we are <laughs> no quite we recommend I came about just after actually so um, i have to look into some family history yeah you might have to yes oh dear yes you did say you were born in malta after after all. Exactly, yes. <laughs> Moving on. Now, you've said about your, some of your stores open or not, but more importantly, we can always look at everything you've got on your website and indeed buy online too, whether we're in Malta or overseas. Yeah, the website was a saving grace. Um, it didn't make up for the shortfall by any means um, of the, from having like what we would normally have with coachloads of tourists coming mm-hmm. to watch the glassmakers and, and going around the shop buying items. But uh, when we had to close all the shops we at least had 
the online store to mm. fall back on. And uh, it's, I mean, we've been operating that for quite a number of years and uh, it's it's been growing year on year. Mm. But this year it became an, an even more important element of our retail side. Yeah. And we, yeah, we ship worldwide. We deliver locally mm. as well. What helps is when people order over 30 euros worth and delivery is done free. So I think mm. that's really encouraged people, yep. especially at the moment as well, locally, mm. to avoid having to go out as much as possible and they've got the option of, of buying online. No, it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. Now that's mdinaglass.com.mt and then I've had a browse earlier and I've, apart from the jewellery, which I'm actually asking my husband, Mark, to have a look at, that you've got some lovely deals on there. There's some nice pieces on there. Yeah. So I think we might be making a purchase after this conversation. That's lovely, that jug. Anyway, sorry, I am distracted by the pretty things on the screen here. What, um... Yeah, I don't think that's going to be conducive to an audio podcast. No. It's a very nice jug, isn't it? It's beautiful. It's green and swirly. My favourite. I like the green stuff best, definitely. That's from the lifestyle range. So, Mark, what's the plan now? Are you just going to continue to assess the situation and work towards hopefully opening up glassmaking again before the end of the year? Yeah, I think at the moment there isn't very much else that we can change or control. Uh, obviously, at the moment, we're, uh, there are concerns over the rising number of uh, cases again, mm-hmm. which you know, we hope isn't going to set things back further down the line. The next step for us is firing up the furnace and mm. getting started again. Yeah. Uh, it, even, but even when we do start again prior to Christmas, it's uh, you know it's still not going to be quite the same as um, you know when we're under full production mm. uh, in normal times. No. And uh, and then we have to see how long that production is going to be up and running for, how long it's uh, feasible to uh, to do it because you know production running production is very expensive yes. with manpower, with fuel, with materials, mm-hmm. and also after Christmas, if things prolong as they are, then it's not going to be worthwhile sort of mm. producing and producing and producing more more and more things if the levels of footfall and business is, is still not the same. Yeah, no, sure. What about commissioning work? Now, if I wanted to commission, because I know you do um, wedding gifts, I know you do commissions for offices and hotels, beautiful candelabras and things like that. Are we able to commission from you at the moment? Well, at the moment, if it involves the glass blowing section, no, because there isn't actually any mm-hmm. glass blowing going on at mm-hmm. the moment. However, if people do have orders and what have you, we can we can take orders and and then see when that's going to be possible to get back to the customer and say, okay, now we can go ahead. But mm-hmm. when it comes to glass blowing, we do commissioned work for larger quantities. The reason being is because it's all handmade. There's a there's a certain amount of development before we know that we're going to be able to produce mm. this particular commissioned item mm. um, properly so there's wastage there right. so you can't do it for a single item thankfully we also have we, we, we have three different techniques fish glass blowing that people are, associate us with um, where they have the pipes etc mm-hmm. and they come to watch them in, in the main workshop mm-hmm. but we also have uh, lamp work which is a different kind of glass making which involves a blowtorch and rods of glass and the lamp work craftsman he 
fashions smaller, more intricate, detailed products mm-hmm. that way. And we can do single item orders using that technique. And that's not a problem uh-huh. when it comes to gifts and wedding souvenirs and such like. We use that uh, technique quite a lot. So yes, and you know, because he works in isolation, he hasn't stopped producing. Mm-hmm. So that's possible even now. And then another technique we use is glass fusion, which uh, employs cold glass mm-hmm. placed on a glass base mm-hmm. uh, to make up a tableau of uh, an image or uh, like. something abstract, mm-hmm. shapes, etc. Mm-hmm. And then that goes into uh, the oven and mm-hmm. gets heated up and then cooled down slowly. And the glass, all the glass parts melt together to become fused. Yeah. And that's popular with gifts, etc. and souvenirs. Yeah. And again, that is something that we are still doing. And we use them for house names, etc. as well. You know, that sort of oh, thing. I know, I've seen them, uh, yeah. The scenic, Brilliant. The scenic pictures, mm. you, you would have seen them here. Yeah. So, you know, that's still ongoing. Ah, good. Because again, we have a couple of guys, they work in, um, they work quite far apart anyway. So mm-hmm. that's safe for them. Yeah, no, that's good to hear. So I'm, I'm so pleased that we are able to, to still commission a certain types of work from you. And indeed, of course, yeah. buy everything yeah. online that's there. Uh-huh. Mark, yeah. thank you. Thank you so much for telling us. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. An awful lot about Mdina Glass. And uh, we wish you luck and hope very soon that you can open up fully. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> for us and uh, for, for our good and everybody else's as well. Absolutely. Well, listen, thank you and stay safe. You too. Thank you very much. To find out more about Mdina Glass, please visit mdinaglass.com.mt. You've been listening to the Temple Magazine podcast. Find us on Facebook or visit us at templemagazines.com. And here's our disclaimer. Temple Magazine will not be held responsible for any omissions or errors in its podcasts. Temple's podcasts are produced purely for entertainment purposes. Views and opinions are that of our own or that of our guests. Thank you to Airport Impressions for the use of their song Berlin as used at the beginning of this podcast.